Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. Uh, back when I was in high school and in college, um, when our group of kids got together, you know, we'd go out to Denny's or something, you know, for coffee or whatever it was. We always played this little um, game when the food would come. And I don't know if maybe you ever played this. It was called the thumbs up game. Anybody know what that is? Kind of a goofy little thing. We'd be sitting around a table, the food would come, and then, you know, somebody would do this, you know, and then it was like, you know, and, and the last person, the last person to raise their thumb, they did the prayer. So that, w- that was kind of, you know, so we was all sitting around, the food would come, and then it was boom, you know, who could get the thumb up quicker? And then usually the prayer would go something like this, Lord, we're so privileged to be able to come before you. And I wonder if God didn't sit up there and say, if it's such a privilege, why is it the loser of the thumbs up game is the one who ends up praying? <laughs> now, it's been my prayer and my hope through this whole series as we're wrapping up our prayer that we would really come to grips with the privilege that we have to pray. What God has given us in terms of access to Him, to be able to call on Him as our Heavenly Father, that it truly is a privilege. And, and there's a lot that comes with that. And so it's really been my prayer through this whole series that, that through this is a deeper understanding of what this prayer is all about and what we are praying when we say these very familiar words, that they don't become just mindless repetition, but, but that our prayers become deeper and richer, and and bolder, and fuller. And so this morning, we're wrapping it up, and we're taking the last phrase in that prayer. And as we've done each week, I'm going to ask you to stand with me. And we've been praying this prayer together in a somewhat different version, just to get us out of the mindless routine. And so as we pray this, for the last time in this series anyway, I just want you to take a moment and realize that our Heavenly Father is here. His presence is among us. He's given us incredible privilege to be able to converse and talk with him. And with that in mind, we pray. Dear Father, who is always near us, may your name be treasured and loved. May your rule be completed in us. May your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Give us the things we need today to accomplish your will. Forgive us of our sins as we are forgiving those who have offended us. And keep us clear of temptation, near you through life's trials, and safe from evil. Because you are the one in charge, and the glory is yours forever, which is just the way we want it. You may be seated. Now, we're going to take that last phrase as we wrap up this series. And in and, and, and some of your Bibles, you might have noticed that, that this part of the prayer isn't right there in the text, um, that some Bibles have it actually as a footnote. And the reason for that is, if you're not familiar with, uh, with bibliology, the, the whole idea is we don't have the original writings of Matthew, of Mark, of Luke, of John. We don't, we don't have those original writings. What we have are manuscripts, copies that have been copied over and over and again, very meticulous copies. And we have many, many of these. And so when translators begin to, to do the translation, what they have done is they've taken as many manuscripts as possible and put them together and compared them side by side. And some of the ancient manuscripts do not have this last little phrase in the prayer. And so that's why for, in some of your Bibles, it's just kind of put as a footnote. And maybe the footnote says some manuscripts do not include this part of the, of the passage. But, but 
I want you to know from the first century, this phrase has been the concluding phrase of this prayer. For the last 2,000 years, as believers have gathered together and prayed this prayer together, that last line has been there in the prayer. And, And for good reason. Because what it does is it brings the prayer full circle. We started praying to our Heavenly Father, whose kingdom we want to have come and whose will we want to have done. It starts with God and it ends with God, whose kingdom and power and glory is forever. And it's a reminder to us in all of this that that this is all about God's work. This is all about God's kingdom. This is all about finding my place in what God is doing in this world through my circumstances, through the circumstances of my friends and family around me, but what God is doing in and through me. And so we're going to take a look this morning at these last three um, parts of this phrase. Yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. What are we praying when we pray that? Why do we end our prayer with this? And we're going to start with this. When we are praying, yours is the kingdom, what we are really saying is we are relinquishing control of our agendas. That we're letting go of control. We are saying yours is the kingdom. And and when I end my prayer in that, what I'm doing is I'm reminding myself who's really in charge. Said it a couple weeks ago. See, there are two kingdoms in operation in my life. Because I've given my life in faith to Christ and trusted him to not only forgive me, but give me this new life. His kingdom is established within me. And the kingdom of God is, is, is taking place in my life. But there's another kingdom there. It's called the kingdom of Ken. And the kingdom of Ken sometimes disagrees with the kingdom of God. Not often, but every once in a while, we have this conflict. That what God wants done in and through me is not necessarily what I want done in and through me. And so in my prayers, when I bring it full circle, I say, no, this is about your kingdom. What I'm saying is, God, what I want more than anything else is for the kingdom of Ken to die. (laughs) So the kingdom of God could come to full fruition in my life. And what I'm doing is I am letting go control. And that, by the way, is, is, is one of the reasons baptism is so important. And if you've not been baptized, I hope you're planning on, on, on take, getting in on this uh, in three weeks. Um, and you can still sign up for it. In fact, we've got a class afterwards, uh, after second service this morning. But the importance of baptism is symbolically what I'm saying is I am letting go of control of my life. That this is an act of obedience and humility that before God, I am saying, may that old kingdom of Ken die so that this new kingdom of God could take root in my life. And that's why baptism is so important. That's why we do that. It it symbolically gives me a, a point at which no matter where else I go, no matter what else happens in my life, I come back to this point and I say, wait, 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 wait. This is about the kingdom of God in my life, not the kingdom of Ken. And so that's why we do that. And this whole prayer, everything that we do in our, in our lives and in our prayer is all about bringing about God's kingdom in my own life and through me to a world who desperately needs it. I'm giving up the control. And it's important to understand that the kingdom of God is not a village in the kingdom of Ken. Okay? It's his kingdom. I don't get, and when I let go of control, what that means is that he is the one in charge. That 
What gets done is what he wants done because that's what the kingdom's all about. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Now, what happens is that if I keep the kingdom of God, it's just kind of a a village in the kingdom of Ken, and he's just something that I carry along when when it's convenient for me, then he's not really king. You see, I can say your kingdom come, your kingdom come, your will be done, but in the nitty-gritty of everyday life, that's where it comes down to. Who's going to win? The kingdom of God, the kingdom of Ken. When they come into conflict, which one gives up? See, 2,000 years ago, on this day, we celebrate Palm Sunday. 2,000 years ago or so, Jesus made a triumphal entry into into Jerusalem. After three years of ministry, after three years of working miracles, he had gained a huge, huge following. And many believed he was the coming Messiah. And, and, And they were looking for this king because the nation of Israel had been under the oppression of Roman rule for so long. They were longing for, and many, many um, people had come before Jesus trying to overthrow and raise up an insurrection. And Jesus comes in, and they're thinking, man, this guy can do miracles. He can raise dead people. Man, what does that do for our army, you know? <laughs> he can feed thousands of people with a few loaves and fish, man. We will never starve on the battlefield. Man, this is the king we have been waiting for. In fact, that's what they shouted. Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. You are our king. And within a week, he had been arrested, put on trial in a mockery of justice, sentenced to death, and crucified. And even his most ardent followers deserted him because he wasn't the king they expected they were looking for a king that would do the things they want their king to do but you see the thing about kingdoms it's not like it's not like a democracy if you don't like the king you don't get to vote him out he's the king and when I'm saying, this, yours is the kingdom, what I'm doing is I'm saying, Lord, you're in control and my will needs to go away. And what I'm really saying is, God, you are a much better king than I am. Because we are all little kingdom builders. Great theologian wrote about this. His name is Dr. Seuss. <laughs> and he wrote a book called Yertle the Turtle. That my parents read to me when I was a little kid and I read to my kids growing up. And it's all about the king of the turtles named Yertle. And, and, and the thing that Yertle says, I am the king of all I can see, but I can't see enough. That's the problem with me. And so what he does is he starts stacking his subject turtles on top of each other. One by one by one. Because the further up he goes, the further he can see, the bigger his kingdom grows. See, and and that's what we do. We're all kingdom builders. We're all looking for ways to get our way. We're all about our agendas, our needs, our wants, our desires. And we just keep stacking up all these things so we can expand our little kingdom. But what happens, what happens in the story is this. At the bottom of the pile, there's a little turtle named Mac. And that plain little turtle whose name was just Mac decided he had taken enough. And he had. And that plain little lad got a little bit mad. And then that plain little Mac did a plain little thing. He burped. (laughs) And his burp shook the throne of the king. And Yertle the turtle, the king of the trees, the king of the air, the birds and the bees, the king of the house, the cow and the mule. Well, that 
was the end of the King Turtle's rule. For Yertle, the king of all Salamasand, fell off his high throne and fell plunk in the pond. And today the great Yertle, that marvelous he, is king of the mud. That's all he can see. We're all kingdom builders. And all it takes is one little burp, one little hiccup, and all that we have built our lives upon so easily comes crashing down. See, when I'm saying yours is the kingdom, what I am saying is, God, you will do a much better job at being king than I do. You see things far better than I can see them. You understand the intricacies of all these things in my life better than I understand them. And so it is better for you to be king than for me. What that comes down to in prayer is if in my prayer I don't get the answer that I want, I don't get things to work out the way I wanted them to work out or I expected them to work out, what I am saying is, God, ultimately, you're still my king. You're still my king. I go through the burps and the hiccups of life, but you are still my king. And ultimately, what I'm saying is, Lord, you've given me the privilege to bring these requests to you. This is what I'm asking for, but ultimately, you are king, and you have the final say, and you got full veto over any of these requests. Jesus said, those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And that prayer, yours is the kingdom, is an act of humble surrender. And it's the prayer of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane on the last night of his life when he prayed, not my will, yours be done. Lord, I'm submitting myself. Father, I am submitting myself to you. If there's any way possible, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, yours be done. And that's what we're meaning. And that's what we're saying when we're saying yours is the kingdom. And then when we're saying yours is the power, what we're doing is we're affirming our confidence in God's ability. See, because if I give God veto power over my life, then what I'm saying is somebody else is in control. And if somebody else is in control, then it's going to be in a powerful way that is beyond me. It's not going to be by my power anymore. Because letting go of this kingdom also means letting go of control, which means also letting go of the power and relying on a power greater than mine. You ever watch somebody bowling? Maybe you've done this. You know, you let go of the ball, and then you, you know, or, or putting. You know, you, you hit that putt, and you're going, like I have any control over where that ball goes. See, I've, once, I've, once I've let go, once I've hit it, once I've rolled it down, i got no control now. There's another power at work. Gravity, forces of nature, whatever it might be, my own bad bowling, you know, whatever it might be. But there's another power at work now. And see, when I let go of control, when I give up the kingdom, I also rely on a greater power. Yours is the kingdom and the power. Hannah Whitehall Smith, hundreds of years ago, wrote a little book, booklet called The Christian Secret of a Happy Life. And she talks about this whole idea of letting go. And she talks about a conversation that she overheard, two people talking. And one was saying, you know, things got so bad that I finally had to pray about it. 
And the person she was talking to said, oh, no, has it come to that? Because we always see prayer as the last resort. See, when, when we finally run out of our own power and our own strength, then we turn to God in prayer. And he said, no, 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 this is an everyday thing. And you need my power and my strength every day in every way. And that's what I'm acknowledging. Paul wrote these words in the Ephesian church. He says of God, he is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. And if you read that sentence, it's like he's piling words upon words upon words. He doesn't know how to get this whole idea across to these people. He says, my prayer is that you would understand this power of God because he is able to do anything you ask. No, 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 no. Not just anything you ask. He can do more than you ask. But no, that doesn't do it either. He does more than you can ask or even imagine. No, no, that doesn't even cover it. And then he gets to, he makes up a word. He takes two words and he jams them together and he makes up a word. And it's in the King James Version, it's exceedingly abundantly. In New International Version, it's just immeasurably. And what he's saying is there is so much power that God is at work in this world and doing things, and he can do things beyond your imagination, exceedingly far, far beyond your imagination. You can't even begin to think about how much you could think about doing, asking him to do, you know? It's that powerful. And that's the power that we believe that now that I've given God veto power over my life, then that means, again, if things don't work out the way I wanted them to or got the exact answer that I was praying for, first of all, it's because it's God's kingdom, not my own. And secondly, it doesn't mean that God can't do this. He's just choosing not to for good reason, whether I like it or not. And when I say yours is the kingdom... I'm giving up control. And when I say yours is the power, I'm saying I can't do this on my own. Because eventually, no matter how strong, how powerful, how successful, how much we have achieved, how much we know, eventually we come to the end of our own strength. And that's where we need God's power. That our God is able. He is able. He is able to, all the things that we've been praying about in this prayer, He is able to provide for my needs each and every day. He is able to empower me to forgive those who have hurt me just the way that he has forgiven me. He has the power to break any addiction or compulsion or temptation that I am faced with. He has the the ability to overcome brokenness, to restore relationships, to heal hurts, to soften hearts, to transform lives, he's able. And in my prayer, what I'm saying is, God, I know that you are able. I think one of the things that comes down to is, yeah, I believe theoretically that God has all the power because after all, he is God. But is he powerful for me? That's usually what it comes down to. And what I'm saying is, yours is the kingdom. God, you know better and you're the king. And yours is the power. I got to rely on you because I can't do this in my own strength. Jesus said, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. In the things that really count, when our strength fails, he is more than able. 
And then this last one, and this takes a little bit of unpacking. Because when we pray yours is the glory, what we're doing is we're celebrating the reality of God's presence in our lives. And that takes a little unpacking because glory is not a word we use very much. It's kind of an archaic word, kind of an old-fashioned word. What do we mean when we mean glory? I mean, is it, about, is it about greatness and majesty? Well, sure, that's part of it. But glory, here's a definition that I got. Glory is the excellence of someone or something that evokes praise. It's when, it's, when, it's when something or someone is fully who they were meant to be or fully performs the way they were supposed to or that thing fully becomes all that it was expected to be and it brings out praise, that's glory. So the glory of a rainbow is its brilliant colors. See, that's the glory. It is fully what it was meant to be. In the 2010 World Series, in game five, the deciding game, and in a pitcher's duel that had gone scoreless for six innings, in the seventh inning, Edgar Renteria hit a two-run homer, and it was glorious. It was glorious. And you know what happens? You know what happens when something's glorious? What is our natural reaction? Yes. Yes. Because what was meant to be came to be. (laughs) See, that's glory. And when we affirm God's glory, what we're saying to God is you are fully all that you meant to be. And I realize that now. In this moment, when we gather together in a Sunday morning or anytime we get together for worship and when we raise our hands and we sing these songs, what we are doing is expressing the fact that we know that we are doing exactly what we are meant to do with a God who was meant to receive it all. And sometimes, I, you know, when I was younger, I kind of thought, this is, this is a little weird, because why am I, why does God keep telling me to give him glory? You know, it's, it's almost like, like the evil queen, mirror, mirror, on the wall, who's, you know, he's got a self-image problem. What is, what's the problem with God? But what it comes down to is this, we were meant to praise. We were meant to worship, and we all worship something. And when we do, it's usually when we're raising our hands. We were meant to experience glory. And when we experience it, there is this natural, natural tendency to express it. Because the expression of it is what completes the enjoyment of it. If I'm watching that game and and just stoically watching something that happens and I'm not engaging, I am missing the moment. When I jump and hit my head on the ceiling, I'm fully enjoying the glory of it, okay? But, but that's the idea. We were meant, and not just, and not just to, to see it, but to experience it, to be a part of it. You know, what happened when they won the World Series, the Giants won the World Series, they, they ran around the whole stadium, the edge of the, the, on the warning track, and people were reaching out, wanting just to touch them, just high-five me. Why? Because we want to experience, we want to be fully engaged in something that is glorious. We do that all the time because that's how God designed us. And the only one who is worth all glory and honor and praise is God. And it's not just about its greatness. There's something else involved. There's a, there's a, um, 
story in the Old Testament about Moses who is meeting with God. And, 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 and he's, he's talking to God. He said, you know, it, they've come out of the, the captivity of Egypt. And, and they're now out um, in the wandering. And he's saying, God, if you don't go with us, we're lost. We need your presence. Your glory. And, and then Moses makes this request of God. He says, now, show me your glory. And God says to him, you can't handle my glory. <laughs> So, so he puts them in this little tight spot between rocks. And, 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 he just, and he just gets to get a picture of it. But here's what God says. This is what God says. He says, now I'm going to put you here and, and I will cause all my goodness, my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. See, it's not just about God's Greatness, although that's a big part of the glory, but a big part of the glory is also his goodness. When Moses says, Lord, show me your glory, God says, okay, I'm going to show you my goodness. And when we end our prayer, yours is the kingdom, Lord, you're in control. And it's your power that's at work that's going to change lives. It's your power at work that's going to change my life. It's your power at work that's going to make the difference here. And all the credit and all the glory and all the honor and all the praise belongs to you because it's your deal. And it flows out of your greatness and your goodness. And that's what I'm praying ultimately. I'm going to trust you for the results, whatever they are. And I'm going to believe that if I don't get the answer to the prayer that I am looking for, it's only because you're a better king than I am. And it's not because your power isn't at work. It's because you're working in a way that I didn't expect. And when the final answer comes, whatever that is, it's not about me. It's about you. And what Paul wrote to the Philippian church is someday everyone will realize this. Someday there will be a day when everyone will realize where all that credit, power, and glory, and kingdom, and all that stuff belongs. Because he writes these words. He says, someday, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. In heaven, and on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.